my name is Brooke Schley and this is Soundtrack Stories. It is our first episode and we're so excited to chat with composer Siddhartha Kosla, who makes the music for mega hit shows like This Is Us and the Hulu original series Marvel's Runaways. His work is so distinctive and hearing how he makes it is fascinating. Once again, this is Soundtrack Stories. Enjoy. Hi, Siddhartha. Welcome to Soundtrack Stories. Thanks for having me. What's so interesting is that you never set out to be a composer in the first place. In fact, in college, you majored in history and political science. So where did music start for you? Well, I mean, my musical story is, um, is rooted in my family's story first. You know, my parents came from India in the late 70s to the U.S., um, I was born here in New Haven, mm-hmm. um, and and they were in school um, in New Haven, and, and they were working full-time jobs, and they had to send me back to India because it was too expensive for them to, to, to take care of me, and they came to this country with $8 in their pockets, so they sent me back to India, um, saved up enough money to have my grandparents raise me for the first you know, a couple of years of my life. And I think in that time, you know, that that's a very formative time in, in anyone's life. Um, and I know in, in our family, family's home, there was music playing, um, old Hindi songs were playing constantly by like Lata Mangeshkar, Asha Bosle, Kishore Kumar, all these like great Indian singers. If you've never heard of them, listen to them, check them out. They're so cool. Um, eventually I came back to the U.S. and, um, I just listened to all this music that my parents had brought with them from India. And that was kind of the beginning of my learning, just listening to those singers. And my mom realized at a young age that um, that I could sing. And so she would kind of, we would have these, every Sunday um, we had, we were, we were part of this group of other, we, I grew up Hindu and so there were all these other, there was a temple that we all went to. And my mom would write these lyrics for me of these old Indian songs. And she's like, here, you're gonna sing this in front of 150 people on Sunday. And so that was kind of the, um, that's like, that was my exposure, like right away, thrown in, I was like singing for all these people. And so that's where music began for me. Um, and, and, and yes, eventually, you know, that continued. I started listening to Western music. I started listening. I remember one day, like I randomly, we used to have this boom box that, um, you know, the, they had this setting of, it was tape or radio. There was like a little switch you could oh, yeah. And I spent my whole childhood in the U.S. listening to Indian music, and I'd never listened to any Western music, and I swear to you. And then one day I just was like listening to some Hindi tape, and then I I switched it up to radio, and um, an R.E.M. song came on. I was like, oh, what's this? And that was my first introduction to Western music. And then I got into the Beatles, and, and yeah, that was it. Then after college, you started a successful band called Goldspot. How did that begin? Um, well, successful is subjective, so but thank you. I'll take that as a compliment. But um, the yes, yeah, so when I got to college, um, I'd already been in a band in high school at that point. And after college, my best friend from my high school band was like, "Hey, um, let's start a band." 
um, after college. And I had these plans to maybe go to law school. I had taken the LSAT. I canceled my score. That's a whole other story. Um, and I didn't know what I was going to do. Like I, was, I loved music so much, but I also wanted to be a public defender. It was the other thing I really wanted to do. So, um, yeah. So Sanjay, my best friend from childhood, he and I started a band together called Gold Spot. And then he left and went to law school, oddly enough. And I stayed. Mm-hmm. And um, that kind of started my career. Um, started getting played on L.A. radio stations like KCRW's Morning Becomes Eclectic. Uh, Nick Harcourt um, had us on his show, which was a dream for us because he was like the arbiter of cool. And my first record got played a lot on his station, and that led to... A record deal in London on Mercury Records, got to tour, um, got to play Glastonbury Festival. Um, it was just awesome. It was just a dream. Asking you to stay, the words are finally here. Let's rewind and rewind. You see, you're the only star. England um, and touring in India a lot, toured over throughout the U.S. and released a few records. And one of my records came out on the record that came out on that major label turned into like a complete bust. Like it came out, it was this hyped up record that people were like, "This is this is like the next big thing." Like like people writing about in England, and yeah. it just led these expectations to be so high. And I was like, "Oh my god, this is awesome! It's happening!" And then that record came out, and like nobody bought it. <laughs> So, but it was also at that point where the record industry was starting to change. It was just like we were moving into a streaming world. Um, people weren't buying CDs or anymore, and it was just it, it was it, that's what was happening at the same time. So, um, and what year was this? This is two thousand five and six is when that record came. Two thousand five was when I finished the record. Six is when it came out on Mercury, mm-hmm. and that's when it was just things were really starting to like records were just not selling. At least mine weren't. <laughs> um, so at that point, it was a decision, like, what was I going to do next? Because I left the label and then moved to New York, made another um, couple independent records, um, and those records ended up getting placed in TV and film. They were on, like, How I Met Your Mother, and but even before that, my earlier stuff was on, like, The O.C., and... Um, all these TV shows and movies and trailers for films they were getting into. So I was there. That was kind of the first step in as far as the relationship that I was having to TV and film. And then out of the blue, you get a phone call. And then Dan Fogelman, um, this amazing writer who had written Cars and um, Crazy Stupid Love, and he's just a successful screenwriter. Um, called me, um, and he was a hallmate of mine from college, and um, and and he was a big fan of my band in the early days. Would always come to the shows, like even when there were five people out there, he was one of the five people that would come see me. Um, and was always a fan of what I did, like loved my music, and I always sent him my records, and we were really good friends. And he said, and he called me and said, "Hey, you know, we're looking for a composer um, for our show, The Neighbors." Um, 
they were going into their second season. Um, and he's like, we need a composer for second season. Do you want to do this? And, and I remember my reaction was, um, I think it was, I think it was like, I don't think so. You know, wait, so you actually turned him down? I said, I want, why don't you use my, I, I said there was a guitar player that used to play in my band. And I was like, I was like, he's doing this stuff now. I was like, why don't you call him? <laughs> like the dumbest thing I could have said. And Dan was like, and Dan was like, no. He's like, I want you to do it, not like anyone else, because he knew, he knew what my music felt like. He knew, just he just knew what I did, and he he liked the emotion and what I brought, and a lot. And I think that's what he was yeah. gravitating towards. And um, anyway, so I I, I said I'll, I'll call him back, and I and I thought about it, and. Um, I spoke to my manager and I spoke to my, my now wife and, and they were like, you should do it. Your last record didn't sell anything. <laughs> um, uh, but so I took the job and it was the best thing I ever did. Then a couple years after that, Dan called you back again after the neighbors had ended on ABC. And he said, I have another show for you. It's called The 36. So, yeah. So um, I'd done a bunch of pilots um, between then for Dan and for other people at that point. So I was getting more and more. Now I felt like I knew what I was doing. I felt like I got, got more seasoned. I, mean, I still don't know fully what I'm doing, but I feel like I got my feet in. Um, and he called me and he said, I have a script for this show called The 36. It's a couple of years ago. And, and he's like, will you read it? And he's like, there's a lot of people that want to do the music on this. Um, and he's like, there's a lot of like big names involved, like directors coming from film, like John Requa and Glenn Ficarra, who directed Crazy Stupid Love and Focus. And like, they're just, Focus then came after. But anyway, he's like, so just, will you see if this inspires anything? So basically he was like, you got to read this. And he's like, you're going to have to pitch. Like you're going to have to write a piece of music and spec a piece of music. And we're going to listen to it just like we will everyone else that comes in. Mm -hmm. But obviously I know what your music feels like. He's like, in my mind, you're the person. But um, it's not just my decision. So he's like, just read the script. So I read the script. I read the pilot script for 36. And it blew my mind. It was so good. And I wrote this piece of music. And I turned it into him. And he loved it. And he called me back and he's like, this is it. It's perfect. 36 um, was the original name for This Is Us. And what you sent them, that initial piece, was that something that ended up in the actual show? Yes, it ends up becoming the Weight Watchers theme for <laughs> season one. So every time Chrissy Metz, um, Kate, goes to Weight Watchers, you hear it. So this is the piece that I used to pitch for This Is Us. So the piece has um, acoustic guitar, and you can hear that acoustic guitar is like, that ends up becoming the sound of the show, that piece, um, just that, the, the finger-picking acoustic. And there's some pads, there's some synth pads underneath as well. So there's this combination of something slightly ethereal and also folky at the same time. And in my mind, I was like, oh, this could be the theme song of the show when I wrote it. And then he's like, he's like, 
I, he's like, we love it. He's like, it's gonna work perfectly um, in this comedic scene over Weight Watchers. And I was like, in my head, I was like, no, 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 this is supposed to be this big epic piece that should be the theme of the show. I remember my head. And then I didn't understand until I saw it to picture. And what, what it did was so cool because it took this, there are these moments of levity in that Weight Watchers scene where everyone's talking about their, their, their problems. And, and, and Kate is like rolling her eyes the whole time in that, or Toby is. Toby's like, you know, this is when we see Toby for the first time. And Toby's like, this is ridiculous. He's like, everyone's just like whining. So you, can, you can just feel like his own, his personality coming out. And this is the piece of music that played underneath that whole um, scene in the pilot. A lot of composers actually score to picture, but you often don't score to picture. In fact, you say you try to do as little of that as possible. Why is that? Well, I, I mean, it's it depends on the show, right? On 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 this is us particularly. I I do score to picture, but I don't score to it as much as I do on other projects. And mm-hmm. a part of the reason why is that, well, there's logistical reasons. One is that um, I get cuts, I get to see cuts early on in the process, um, and when you get an early cut of the picture, it's going to evolve and change so much. So if I try to score an early cut of it and try to hit every kind of movement that's happening, by the time it goes through its five or six revisions, it's a different picture and the music doesn't hit in the same way. So that's one reason. There's a logistic. But the other thing is that I like scoring to the idea of what's happening in the scene. So I'll look at picture. I could even look at a photograph of, of Mandy Moore in the, in a scene and then like, and turn off the picture and then to visualize that and then write a piece and write a theme. Um, I like writing to the idea of what's happening because, um, it also keeps me connected to the larger picture of the show. You know, it's not about scoring to what's exactly happening in the scene. Sometimes I learned this from John Requa and Glenn Ficarra who directed the pilot of This Is Us and who directed multiple other episodes. They taught me um, in a conversation once, they said to me, they said, score to why, we like when we like when score is scoring to why people are there, mm. not what they're actually doing in the scene. And that, and that fascinated me. And that made me then look at picture, turn it off and say, whatever I write should theoretically be able to work in any way you cut the scene up. As the show developed, the score started to evolve as well. For example, towards the back end of season one, I think it was episode 13, the music suddenly feels very Indian. And I, I wanted to know what prompted that change. You know, what, what happened there that made the music shift? You know, that was, that was again, a credit to the director of the episode um, and the editor on the episode, they had this scene um, in episode 13 where Chrissy Metz's character, Kate, um, is in pound, she's in pound class at her uh, weight loss camp. And she's sitting there with a bunch of other people in the room um, and, and just started um, banging on, um, on, on her mat with, with, with these sticks with everyone in the room. And so there was like a chorus of these, like the sound of like, there was a chorus of that happening with sticks. And 
that scene, when I got it, it showed Chrissy Metz playing the sticks in class. And all of a sudden, it there was a flashback to Jack's funeral out of nowhere. We'd never seen the funeral before. Um, we knew that he died. And it was this haunting image. And it was dead silent. There was nothing for like a minute and a half. Just You just saw the entire scene. And... <clears throat> The director of the show suggested, he said, well, I don't, I don't want to do anything cheesy, like, like any sort of like yoga-y kind of like spiritual, some sensationalized Indian thing here. And I was like, I was like yeah, neither do I. <laughs> and, um, and he's like, but we need something that's going to like transport us. And, um, and so obviously, like, I think like the, the, the typical kind of network TV direction there honestly would have been hearing some sort of spiritual kind of like music with like, I don't know, it would have been cheesy in my, my mind. So that's when I started. I, so I just watched the scene and I wrote this piece and, and, and that was, that's where I wrote um, Jack's theme, which is like which has become kind of like the, the, the one of the quintessential kind of like the, one of the, the iconic melodies of the show now. You hear it kind of weaved in and out. And it came from that moment. Um, and, and the music had, for whatever reason, I, I kind of like dug deep and what came out was something that was Indian influenced um, without it sounding like world music, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So instead of using tablas, I started banging on my wooden table. So I was So I would do stuff like that on a wooden table and put the mic up to it and record it. And I was like, okay, and I'm gonna layer. And I'd start layering it with other, with my fingers. And I was like, and all of a sudden I created this army of percussion that was matching the rhythm of Kate in pound class with everyone hitting the sticks on the mat. So all of a sudden that was in sync. And that just made me, um, so all of a sudden that just made me, I started playing this kind of like repetitive arpeggiated, um, something drony on acoustic. And meanwhile you have like, just this four note descending melody <clears throat> and it was and as I was singing that it, it came like it reminded me of like old Indian music that I used to listen to and those old singers would like they would slide their there would be glisses in the vocal like ah, ah. that's like the really Indian way of doing it and that just became Jack's theme and it became this kind of like meditative thing that transported a little bit and it sent us into this into her head and into this event that ended up changing the course of these kids' lives forever. And, um, and that's where this kind of 
Indian thing came out. It just came out of it. You didn't want to use, uh, you know, the tabla or more traditional Indian instruments. Is there a reason you didn't want to go down that road? I don't know. I'm, I sometimes am, am allergic to it. And I think it's, it's, and it's, it's, maybe it's a little chip on my shoulder or something, but it's like when I was making music for Goldspot, my band, there was always an Indian influence in it. And I still, when I make Goldspot music, there's always this Indian influence in it, but I wanted it to feel me. Yeah. Feel who and 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 who I am is I'm an Indian American. I was born in the U.S. I lived in India for a couple years when I was younger. I spent my entire life here. I grew up with Indian and American values. Um, so there's I'm kind of I've spent so much of my life um, trying to figure out who I am, like what my identity is. Um, I feel like I'm Randall sometimes. You know, like if I relate to any character, it's Randall because he's like. You know, he's he grew up in a white family, but he's black, you know, and, and so there's this so there's a bit of that. Um, and I think for me, the way I would play tabla is instead of it sounding like a world music record, which is which crosses into fusion for me, which sometimes feels a little bit. It's not something I like listening to. Like, you know, like I grew up on like the Beatles, listen to the Beatles and the Cure and the Smiths and Depeche Mode and R.E.M. and also old Indian singers and. So my interpretation of tablas is to is to play it on a wooden table or on my acoustic guitar and record that as opposed to hearing the on the tabla. The Beatles were a huge influence in your life, and in past conversations we've had, you talked about George Harrison especially, and that the way he sang his songs actually sound Indian to you. How how so? Well, yeah, I mean, there's obviously the the Harrison. I mean, Harrison introduced the Beatles to Indian music, right? Um, and so there were there were clearly like um, within you, without you, for example, like there were clearly these Beatles songs that were very Indian in the way that we were just talking about, which had tablas and sitars. I, I liked it. I didn't love that stuff as much, but I liked Harrison. I loved his voice. And and I think his voice to me, when I hear his voice, it reminds me of those in old Indian melodies. Like um, even the way he sings something, 
You know, something in the way she moves attracts me like no other lover. Like there's that, uh, something in the way she knows. Like those types of like slides in the voice and those, that expression to me is, sounds like Kishore Kumar. Kishore Kumar was the singer that I grew up listening to in the 60s. I mean, I didn't grow up in the 60s, but he grew up and he, his music was out in the 60s. So besides sort of the tight deadlines that you're working under basically every single week, what would you say are the biggest challenges for scoring a show like this or just, I mean, scoring a show in general? I think the biggest challenge, there's two, there's two moments in the, in the creation of the show, in the life of the show, two big moments, I think, or sorry, one big moment where like the initial um, fear that I have always sets in. And that's in the very beginning because you have to find the sound of the show. And that is a big ask and it's a big task. Okay. And so you're, because whatever you do in that first episode, you can't all of a sudden have like a brand new sound episode too. Like it has to feel cohesive from the beginning. You can evolve like we've done here. Like, as you pointed out, this score has become slightly more Indian. And so it's that initial, it's finding the sound. Um, and I find that I'm, I'm, I, I, I love being in that position because it's, it's nice to kind of have the script inspire something or the early picture you see inspire something and you do it. Um, <clears throat> so the challenges are selling the producers and the network and the studio on that sound. That's a bit, that's a challenge because everyone has, everyone's, everyone's people have been working on this for way longer than I have. I come in after like, they've already written it after they've already cast it after they've already started shooting it. And after they've already filmed the first episode. So people in their mind, especially Dan, has had a vision in his mind for years. Like this thing is brewing in his mind. So you have to kind of come in and present something that everyone's gonna like. And and that's challenging too, because it's not just Dan, it's Dan, it's the other directors who are directing that pilot, it's the studio, it's the network, it's like 50 people you have to please. Yeah. And that's challenging. Um, so that's kind of part of what we do too, is that you have to, you have to kind of present things in the right way. You have to be careful about how you present to. You can't present too soon, you can't present mm. too late. Meaning like, if I present too late and they have already started putting other music as placeholders in the episode, people get attached to what that sound is. Yeah. Like if they just put, if they, if they could have tempted this pilot with like rom-com orchestral score. They could have. Yeah. And I would have been fighting them all day to be like, no, no. <laughs> please, please this. And, and they would be like, ah, no, that doesn't sound right. You know? And so sometimes that's, so that is the biggest challenge is finding the sound. So with all this going on and the crazy hours that you're pulling for, this is us, you're also scoring a show on Hulu, Marvel's runaways and the music could not sound more different. 
And the creators of Marvel's Runaways, Josh Schwartz and Stephanie Savage, what was that conversation like with them at first? What did they want? Well, Josh and Stephanie, um, Josh Schwartz and Stephanie Savage, who created the show um, based on the comic, um, hired me on the show. And in our in our conversation in that first meeting we had, um, the music supervisor Alex Patsavis was there as well. And Alex has great taste in music, and so I, I knew going in that like we had to do something that was special and unique and 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 cool in her mind as well because she's 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 the arbiter of cool to me, and she knows like good she knows good stuff, and. Um, and, and we did not, again, want this to be an orchestral Marvel project. Um, this show was about these is about these teens that are rebelling against their parents after they find out that their parents are in some evil organization called the Pride. Um, and so this is a battle between kids and their parents. And so there had to have been there needed to be this level of angst. There needed to be this something youthful um, and 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 current, whatever. I hate saying that word current, but that's they needed to have that feeling. Um, so after reading the script, I, 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 I spoke to them and I said, I think we should go use synths on this, like analog synths from the 80s and let it feel like, I don't know, like social networky at points, but then also um, fun and upbeat and moving and driving and um, something you could dance to occasionally if you wanted to. So they liked it. And I wrote that piece like right after reading the script. And then four months later, we were looking for a main title piece um, to, to, to be the music music for the opening. And they're like, how about that piece you sent us originally like that you wrote right off of reading the script? And I was like, really? And they're like, yeah. So you have a personal friendship that goes back years with Dan Fogelman, who created This Is Us. Um, on Marvel's Runaways, on the other hand, you didn't have any kind of relationship with the creators of the show beforehand. I imagine that would make it a pretty different experience. Right. I, I think, you know, it, it's interesting. It's a good question. And um, I, for me, the way that I work on any project is is to really understand the creators of the show and have an understanding of why they are making this and what are their musical tastes, what are their, what is their aesthetic, like what kind of stuff do they like, what kind of stuff do they not like, and who are they as people? And you're right, so with Dan, I've known him for so long, so there's this, or there's an understanding there. With Josh and Stephanie, it was new, and I had to kind of figure that out. The only connection that Josh, Stephanie, and I had had beforehand was that um, both of them um, had they had used my music on some of their previous shows um, that they had created in the past. I, I, my music was on the OC, as I mentioned before. So 
and I knew their musical sensibility because I also knew their music supervisor. I knew the kinds of stuff that they liked. Um, and they were like, they've always been, they've always had cool kind of hip sensibility. Um, and so that helps a lot. I think that's where it comes from. But no, there was no, you know, there was no deep relationship before, but there's become one now, which is great. Um, so yes, there's a little bit of that learning curve in the beginning, but you have to kind of invest and take the time and try to understand what people like and what they want. And that happens in that, in those early conversations too. Like, it's just like, I basically like I, I've talked to showrunners before. I think I may have said this to Josh stuff. Like, what are you listening to right now? And that's a big thing to understand. And if they're like, they're like, we can't stop listening to Bon Iver or something, or like, we love, you know, Britney Spears. And it's a very different. Mm-hmm. So then I was like, okay. So what were they listening to? What did they say when you asked them that question? I knew that they'd been listening a bunch to like the stuff that they had, um, they had mentioned artists that I like, I'd never even heard of. And Alex too, which is like when you hear some of these bands that are in on Runaways, they're like these bands I've never heard of, these cool indie bands that like, I don't, I mean, I'm in my studio all day, so I don't drive around listening to, you know, XMU anymore. But, so I miss out on that stuff. But it, I can't even remember, honestly. Mm-hmm. And I listened, I was like, oh, that's cool. For people listening who want to listen to your music, where can they find it? Well, the score for This Is Us is out now. Um, it just got released, and you can get that anywhere, um, Spotify, iTunes, everywhere. Um, and the score for Runaways is also out, too, season one score. So... It's so it's out everywhere. What's next for you? Um, I'm trying to think what's next. Uh, I don't know. I hope I keep on working. That's what's next. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, I'm probably I may do a pilot this pilot season. I don't know. Um, but I'm just I'm excited for the next couple seasons of This Is Us and Runaways. Thank you so much, Siddhartha. It was so fun talking to you. Well, it was an honor to talk to you, and thank you for um, the lovely conversation. Thanks for listening to Soundtrack Stories. And for more information, you can visit our website at SoundtrackStoriesPodcast.com. And don't forget to subscribe.